We'll be getting started in a moment. Genesis 15. My name is Dave Householder, blessed to be your Bible teacher, and I am so excited about uh, this passage. I cannot wait to teach on it. I appreciate your prayers over the last couple of months. For the last two months, I've been uh, struggling with the diagnosis of bronchopneumonia, bronchitis, um, reactive airway disorder, all kinds of stuff. But um, the Lord's teaching me some stuff. He's teaching me how to take better care of myself and to talk less when I'm recovering. And uh, It may shock you, but an occupational hazard of pastors is talking too much. And uh, we tend to do that. And, uh, for instance, you know what it means when I say at the end, toward the end of a message, and this is my last point, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. uh, At least, at least. So so, uh, um, I may have to leave right up to the message today to rest my voice, because I would rather just talk to all of you till middle of the afternoon, which I do sometimes. But um, trying to to be good about that and listen to my wife. There's a reason why married men live 10 years longer than single men is uh, we listen to our wives who take good care of us. So thanks so much for, for all of your prayers. And uh, I'm feeling great today, actually. So I'm very excited about this passage. At least half the church is out of town right now. We still have a lot of people here, which is kind of cool. Uh, Nancy is in Prague. We have people in Idaho. We've got people in Arizona visiting our sister church, uh, Wonderful Mercy, with Graham Sellers. We've got uh, people up and down the West Coast. We've got people in South Carolina. We've got people all over the place. And so do pray for our wellies who are out and about. We're doing a sermon series on the dreams and visions in the Bible. Now, those of us in Western culture, scientific culture, we tend not to pay much attention to dreams and visions. But the Bible is full of them, and they mean a lot of things. And so today we're going to talk about the problem of trust. Now, there's a story which has been used in sermon illustrations, and it's probably not true, but it should be. And it has to do with Niagara Falls. Who remembers a few years ago the guy crossing Niagara Falls on that tightrope with the, with the water and the, the, the whole thing? It's just crazy stuff. Well, this is 100 years ago, supposedly. And maybe it did happen. Who knows? There was this tightrope walker. We'll just call him the Flying Walenda or whatever. And he was crossing over... And then he crossed back to the United States, so he went all the way over and all the way back. And then he yelled out, who believes I can do this again? And the whole crowd says, we do, we do, flying one that can do this, this is great. Who believes I can do it carrying a man on my shoulders? Yeah, yeah. who will be that man? <laughs> Most of us would check that box that we trust the Lord. We're church-going Christians. Uh, do you trust God? Yes, no. You just check yes. We trust God. But are we willing to get on the shoulders and go do the thing? There's a lot of promises in the Bible, wonderful promises in the Bible. I'm standing on a promise in the Bible right now for healing. If you've noticed, this whole time I say I've been diagnosed with these things. I don't say I have them. and It's not like I'm lying about it. Is, is it just as true to say I've been diagnosed with something? Sure it is, but it gives God room to move. So it's important how we use our words. Wendy was talking about that. Wendy's going to a, um, we have a women's Bible study at 10 o'clock, and you're doing Me and My Big Mouth, Joyce Meyer. 
bookshop on Wednesdays, and you guys are talking about the importance of words and how words can make a big difference in our lives. If I get up in front of my mirror in the bathroom and I say for 30 days, you're never going to get over this and you'll probably die. After 30 days, who thinks I would be worse off? But if I recite God's promises over and over and speak them out, there's a very good chance that things go well. So trusting beyond just intellectually trusting God, 90% of Americans believe in a higher power, believe in a God. I don't think it's anywhere near that that actually trust God on his promises. For instance, the promise that's attached to tithing, which Pastor Tamara often mentions before offering. In Malachi 3.10 it says, Bring the full tithe into God's storehouse and test me on this and see what happens. Well, if I were to ask you to believe the whole Bible's true, you'd probably check yes. But to actually step out and do that is a whole other thing. Same with healing. Same with God's calling on our lives. Same with God's provision. Who believes that God provides for us our daily bread? Who is still worried about your money from time to time? It's, it's making that step. And I'm going to give you some clues today on how to move from just intellectual trusting to trusting from your heart, from your gut, from your deeper self, and trusting in a big way and getting on the shoulders of that, that guy and going across the tightrope. Trusting that God's going to get you to the other side. And these hints I'm going to give you have to do with dreams and visions. That deeper part of us. The problem of trust. First, I'd like to show you a picture of an iceberg. That part of you that is listening to me right now, or not, is the part above the water. That part of you that's conscious. That part of you that's making decisions. That part of you that woke up this morning. That part of you that you identify as yourself, your soul, your heart, your mind. That part of you that's awake. That part of you that is miraculous, by the way, because science has no idea what consciousness is. You can look this up. It's called the hard problem of philosophy. It's on Wikipedia. And we can't figure out what consciousness is or where it takes place or where it's located. It's The brain has got something to do with it, but it looks like the brain hosts it, doesn't generate it. You understand the difference? We're not sure. It's a miracle that you're conscious. Absolutely. You are the conscious part of creation, which is pretty cool, considering how big creation is. And you're the part that can reflect and do stuff. I think of Jen and, and, and uh, Alan, you guys can do your music this Thursday night. And you're the part that gets to create and be a part of things and interact with people. That's really cool. And we can feel things and sense things and, and all of that. So the conscious self is that part of us that's sticking out above the water, that part of you that's paying attention right now. But by far the biggest part of you is underwater. By far the biggest part of you is not conscious. There's a part of your brain right now that is regulating your breathing. You haven't thought about breathing since this message started. There's a part of you that when you're walking that regulates where your feet go. Who here has gone a long time without getting on a bike and you get back on a bike and your feet know where to go? And you're not thinking about each pedal or swimming or anything else. Your mind is regulating all kinds of stuff. I'm kind of weird, but I like getting blood tests. 
because you get the blood test and all of all of these ranges. I mean, dozens of things in there, and your brain, your body is keeping all of this stuff in these little ranges, all these little puny chemicals with long names, and and they're all right there, and you're you're just regulating, regulating, regulating. Your body temperature right now is being regulated, right around 98.6. You might have to take your sweater off if it gets too warm. You might have to put it on if it gets too cold. But your body is regulating that. And guess what else your body's doing right now? It's solving your problems. Your, your subconscious mind is working on your problems right now. And your subconscious mind, they tell us, is between a hundred and a thousand times more intelligent than our conscious mind. It's always doing stuff. God gave us this massive computing thing. Wendy and I were listening to podcasts on the BBC on the car yesterday. And there was this one where the scientists have, have, they've isolated a cell in the brain of a fruit fly. And it took them 12 years because it's so complicated. It's so complicated. The, the, the cell of a fruit fly is so complicated, it took them 12 years to map this thing out on a gigantic computer thing. Well, mice have, from what I understand, like a million times more brain power than a fruit fly, and we've got like a million times more mental power than a, than a mouse. And just think what is going on up there. And most of it you're not conscious of. Thank goodness, because you think your mind is busy now. Imagine if you were paying attention to all the other stuff. You're regulating all that stuff that's going on. Your, 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 your lower level is huge. And next week you got to be here because we're going to talk about how to feed the lower level from the top level with God's word. And to program our mind to believe and trust the promises. And that's why we want to get into the word. I cannot tell you how much the word of God has helped me. I am not a particularly moral or immoral person. I'm just a regular person. But because I was raised in a Bible teaching family, the Bible is just floating around in my head. And it's like curbs that have kept me out of all kinds of trouble. Because I've put so much Bible in me that, that when that lower part is thinking, it's making good decisions for me. We want to get into the word. And dreams and visions, if you look at this, if you look at this picture, where God gets a hold of us through dreams and visions is through the big part of the iceberg. Gets a hold of us while we're sleeping. Brings us into an altered state. John, book of Revelation, had vision. He was in an altered state. He was not in the typical conscious. He wasn't looking at the people around him. He was looking at the vision of Revelation while he was awake. And when God wants to get a hold of us in a big way, he often doesn't go to our conscious mind. He goes to our bigger self. You can call that the deeper part of our soul, the deeper part of our spirit, that part of us that isn't really awake, but is always working, always doing stuff. Suzanne is over here having a treat, and her body is telling her how to swallow it. And she's listening the whole time. She's multitasking. It's fascinating. <laughs> she's a woman as she can, says my wife. Yeah, men work on a one wire. We're doing we're resting, we're working, one thing at a time. Don't bother me with other stuff. So, so here we have Abram. Now, Abram gets called Abraham later. 
God changes Abram to Abraham, changes Sarai to Sarah, changes Jacob to Israel. Last week we talked about how he didn't change Saul to Paul, just two different names he had. So we're going to talk about Abram before he became Abraham. And he had a fantastic vision where God got a hold of his deeper self through a dream and a vision, two and a half visions. To turn to Genesis 15, we're going to look at it together. And what I hope this does is it opens us up to be open to God touching us in this way. To go to bed at night and say, Lord, I'm open to a dream and a vision tonight. I'm open to seeing from you. I'm open to you working with my deeper self. Not just my conscious self. Because my conscious self is limited. And we're going to talk today about how the conscious self is really good at making decisions and really terrible at carrying them out. So we want to learn to make decisions and then trust. Remember, that's the big word, trust God, to work through our deeper self to get stuff done. And you've all done this, haven't you? You're on a crossword puzzle, you get nowhere. Or puzzles. Who here has done puzzles? My wife has missed work because she lost track of that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Just in time. <laughs> you can get carried away with these puzzles. But who's done puzzles before you can't get anywhere? You go have lunch, take a nap, come back, and boom, you start doing it again. It starts coming, right? That's because your subconscious mind has been working while you've been resting. Thomas Edison, the greatest inventor ever in America, whenever he ran into trouble inventing, he would go and take a nap. And his coworkers would say, what are you doing? We're right on the verge of getting this light bulb to work. And he'd say, we're at a dead end. Go take a three, four hour nap, come back, boom. Took care of it because his deeper self was working. Your deeper self is incredibly intelligent. And what we feed it is really, really important. So Abram has a vision. So let's look at this vision together. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a, in a what? Vision. So he's awake and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. And some verses of the Bible say, I will be your shield. I'll be your shield. That's the literal translation. I'll be your shield. Now, who can believe that and still go through a bad neighborhood in L.A. and get nervous? Trusting God to protect us is hard. Sometimes we check that box, yeah, I trust God to protect me. But sometimes we treat God like that untrustworthy, addicted, goofy uncle who doesn't really come through and we have to cover for him. And we just do all kinds of other stuff. Now, sure, we need to be safe and we need to stay away from really dangerous stuff and all that kind of stuff. But trusting that God will protect us takes a lot of courage. And so in this first vision, he promises to protect him. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so known, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky 
and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And this is a verse that the Apostle Paul uses as a kickoff for the the Mount Rushmore of faith when he talks about the faith of Abram. Abram believed him, and God counted it as righteousness. But he still, if we go to the next slide, is double-minded. Who here has been double-minded with one of God's promises? Let's be honest. We believe it, and yet we don't believe it. We believe he's going to heal someone, and yet we don't. We believe he's going to provide for us, and yet we don't. We believe he's going to save us, and yet we're not sure of our salvation sometimes. I've had people go to church their whole lives, trust Jesus with everything, and come to me and say, how can I be sure I'm saved? Even though the promises are that you're saved if you do these things. So this is the challenge that we face. We get double-minded, and I'll prove it to you here in the next verse. Put, go ahead and put that up, Kim. Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure I'll actually possess this? So Paul only quotes the good part. He leaves out the other part. He uses the example of his faith. But in the very next verse, he says, so, like, how's this going to work? How's this going to happen? This is why I love the Bible. People say, Oh, the Bible is so out of touch. I don't know about you, but this is the world I'm living in. This is the world I'm living in because I see God's promises and I have to be intentional about receiving them. Because it's easy to start doubting God's promises. Real easy. And the next thing you know, we think, well, you know, I'll always be broke or always be sick or my relationships will never be healed and I'll never have a vocation from God that will be fulfilling and all that kind of stuff. How can I be sure that I'll actually possess it? As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down on him. Now we see Abram here going from the top of the iceberg into the bottom part of the iceberg. When you go into your dreams, isn't it interesting how stuff can come up from when you're like a junior high that you haven't thought about forever? And all of a sudden, there's that kid who sat next to you in band who played trombone. And you had thought about him for 40 years. It's all in there. And when you're dreaming, you're in the bottom half of the iceberg and all kinds of stuff is going on. And stuff comes into your your memory that you've forgotten all about. Because there's a lot of stuff in there. So God doesn't just argue with him. He does this is real important. Listen carefully. God doesn't argue with the top half of Abram's iceberg. He takes him deep into the dark spot. The place where he's not conscious. Darkness is a symbol for not being conscious and not seeing what's going on. Who thinks we can avoid God taking us there by just kind of resisting that? We don't really want to go there. We don't want to go into the deeper parts of ourselves. We don't want to explore those things with God. Who thinks God's not surprised by those things? It's not a big deal for him. It's like it's like me, for goodness sake. I mean, I, every week somebody says to me, they'll use a bad word. They'll say, oh, sorry, Padre. I'll say, 
You have no idea. Cops and pastors hear everything. But people say that. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like we have to tell God, oh, God, I can't take you there because there's bad stuff there. As if God hasn't seen bad stuff. You know? As if he doesn't know how we're wired. As if he doesn't understand the bottom of the iceberg better than you do. And he wants to take us around through a vision, through a dream. A lot of us have gotten just visions just sitting somewhere. Just, ooh, we've got a picture of where God's leading us. And it excites us and it motivates us. And we can start to see the end of things. Next verse. So here's what happens. God and Abram sign a covenant while he's having a vision. Now, Abram actually gets a bunch of animals, cuts them in half. And the deal was back in those days, this is like, is anybody here a notary public? Your notary used to be. Got a notary over here. Paul's a notary. Um, this is how they notarized things back then. There was no bureaucracy. There was no county courthouse where you go down and, and put your contract. So what they did was they cut animals in half, and they'd walk through between them together, and that would seal the covenant, and then they'd barbecue it and have a party. That's just how that worked. And so it, it was, you know, blood has a way of getting people's attention. You know, it, this, this, is a big, this, this is a big deal here. There's a covenant. So God takes Abram into this deep part of his self, gives him a vision, and Abram actually does this with the animals, but the covenant is sealed not in real life but in the vision. And God shows up through his Holy Spirit in the vision and seals the whole thing for him. Because Abram can't be convinced in his little puny mind, his conscious mind, because our, our conscious mind isn't capable of the kind of faith that our deeper self is. Do you ever have those hunches where you just trust things? You don't know why, but you just think, I just trust this. Because your deeper self saying, I trust this. I trust this. So, a smoking pot and a torch. And smoking pot meant something different in Israel than it does in California. So, it's, it's, it's a smoking pot and a, and a flame. And it goes, it go, the smoking pot and the flame go through between the animals. Why is that cool? Because if he'd done it in real life, walking through God, you're going with me, you can't imagine God being with you. Because it looks like there's nobody there. You ever notice that in real life? God is not sitting next to you in bodily form. Only in visions would you see God because God is spirit. And the only way God could seal the covenant would be to take him into that deeper place. Do you understand what I'm saying? Take him into that deeper place and show him, show God show himself through his Holy Spirit and flame walking through. I'm sealing the covenant with you. And that's the way it's going to be. God speaks to us sometimes. And I've talked about this passage with people all week long. And it's been so interesting. Every person I've talked to personally about this has said, I've had visions. I don't want you to think I'm weird, Pastor, but. Most people have visions, but we we don't talk about them. And in spirit-filled churches, we need to talk about them. So after the sun went down, the darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants. 
all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Go on. Okay. You get the story now. Abram decides to have faith, but his gut is hesitant. God reaches him through a vision to notarize it with a vision. Some of us need to get a vision from God. And you know what you have to do to get a vision from God? You have to be open to a vision from God. Who thinks God has a lot more talk than we've got listen? God never talks to me. I said, well, sit down and be quiet. You've got way more talk than we've got listen. We are, we're, you know, we, we need to be open. Here, here's the secret to the whole Bible. You want to hear it? The whole Bible? Hebrew and Christian spirituality, it's all about receptivity. It's all, everything God has is free. How much receptivity do we have? That's what we have control over. Are you receptive to a weird vision? Are you receptive to some stuff you can't understand with your conscious mind? Are you receptive to going to bed tonight and saying, Lord, I've got this big problem. Speak to me in a dream tonight. Come to me as a, a torch or a smoking pot. Come to me in a way that will seal these things that I'm unsure about. Who's here unsure about a promise of God? We all get unsure. Ask God to make it real to you. Make it real to you. And have him come to you and do that. So here's some practicalities. Recognize our double-mindedness. The cool thing about this church is you can just say what you're really thinking and what's going on. Nobody has to put on a church face here. Everything's fine. It's wonderful. We don't have to be blistinis, you know, pretend that, uh, that everything's going great. Because who thinks in this world we have trouble? Who thinks that trouble is real? Who thinks Jesus had real trouble? Who thinks he was spiritual and it wasn't because he wasn't spiritual he had trouble? Okay. So, recognize our double-mindedness. We believe and we want to believe. My wife and I are on the final series, the final season of X-Files. We never watched it during the 90s, but we started watching it. And in Mulder's office, there's a big poster. What does it say? I want to believe. We do want to believe. And the apostles say, you know, we believe. Help our unbelief. But God can't help your unbelief through your mental little mind that's sticking up above the water. He's got to work on the deeper stuff. We have to say, we have to... to to receive those kind of promises at a deeper level. Sometimes it happens during praise and worship. Praise and worship is actually more important than preaching, I think. Because who's had God sneak up on them during praise and worship? Who's had God sneak up on them during communion? We're going to take communion here. And Jessica and Jen were singing, God, you're so good. The Bible verse we read today in our Bible reading in the Psalms was, Taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't theologically understand communion. That's why I don't teach on it theologically. I just know Jesus shows up. Who thinks that we should encourage that? <laughs> Jesus showing up at communion. And not just, not just some memorial meal, not some fancy transubstantial. Just expect Jesus to show up. And what happens with communion is God deals with our deeper self. Because guess what? Your stomach is not conscious. We're eating. We're receiving. It's symbolic of a deeper receptivity. Communion keeps us receptive. We hold out our hands and we receive. And we expect 
Jesus to work at us or on us at a deeper level. That's why we take communion. We ignored communion here for a long time. And uh, I'm not proud of that. We just never got around to it because it seemed kind of busy and whatever. And then we had a couple of members who said, let's start doing it more often. And people keep running into Jesus at communion. Especially if you're receptive. Who thinks receptivity is a big deal when you're going to communion? Folks, if you've never taken communion before, you are welcome to take communion here because we want you to run into Jesus. You don't have to be a lifelong church member or have some kind of card or go through confession or whatever. Just expect, if you're a Martin Luther 500 years ago said there's one requirement for communion. You have to believe it's for you. And if you were the only person in the world, it'd still be for you. Because God cares about you. And God loves us. So, that's number one. Number two, be open to deep vision, dream from the Lord. We talked about that. Number three, define the problem with your conscious mind. It's important to define the challenges with our conscious mind and decide what we're going to do and write it down in our conscious mind and then let God work on the other stuff. And let it go. And let God work out the solution. Your creativity, you guys are creative people, and there's other creative people here. Creativity comes from a deeper level. It doesn't come from up here. It doesn't come from slogging through and making stuff work in your mind. It's letting that stuff come out that's been worked on all of this time. A lot of musicians, they just, it's, this music bounces around in there. They just have to kind of let it out. Define the problem with your conscious mind, but don't try to solve it with your conscious mind. Number four. Let the Lord work with your deeper mind to solve the problem. Lord, I invite you into my whole self to work on these big issues and give me assurance of what you're going to do. Next one. No fruit without roots. I love that phrase. Let's say it together. One, two, three. No fruit without roots. We've all heard about the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, self-control, all that kind of stuff. You ever notice it's not the fruit of the effort? It's what happens when we let God work on the deeper, deeper self, our spirit, and out comes those good things. God, bring those things into my life. Bring the fruit of this, plant those seeds of the fruit of the spirit in my life and let them come up and you do the gardening. I'll be open to it and I'll let those things happen. We need roots to have big fruits. And if we're just always thinking about our conscious mind, it's shallow. There isn't enough room in there. I don't know about your conscious mind, but mine is not very impressive. Do you ever spend time in your conscious mind and think, this is not much going on up here? It's, it's, it's shallow. It's shallow soil. Joan here is a master gardener. So is Linda. And they understand that deep soil is very what? Very important. Let those seeds go deep into our souls and let them come up over time. Six, stay with the present. Take no thought for tomorrow, said Jesus. Stay in the now. Now is the only eternity there will ever be. If we're with the Lord for 50,000 years at year 25,000, it'll still be now. Now is all there ever is. We need to be present in the moment. And once we start worrying about solving the problem with our heads, our heads get overloaded and we get stressed. And who thinks that's causing a lot of sickness in this country? Was it 40% of our health care or something like that is, is based on stress-based stuff? 
It's a lot of that stuff. We need to relax and let God do some of those things. Let God do the heavy lifting. Let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. I never push someone to receive Christ. I always invite them. But I trust the Holy Spirit to do the, the heavy lifting. I never, if you were to die tonight, you better decide right now. You know, I, I, I don't do that to people. Because that's doing what God should be doing. God's working on the deeper stuff. I'll just invite and be there to pray with people to receive Christ. Next slide. Stay in the moment. Lesson of the hourglass. Cool thing about hourglasses is they let one grain of sand through at a time. The stuff at the top is the future. The stuff at the bottom stuff's already happened. Focus on that grain of sand you got right now. We are so blessed. I mean, during the praise and worship today, I don't know what happened to me, but I got really in the moment. And guess where, guess who shows up when you're in the moment? God does. God shows up when you're in the moment. Why? Because God is present. We talk about praying for his presence. The more you're in the moment, the more you're going to run into God. The more you worry about the future or feeling bad about the past, the less you're going to run into him. Who thinks Americans always worry about the future and are ashamed about the past and never stay in the moment? So, stay in the moment. This is the best quote I found on this topic. William James was arguably one of America's greatest educators from over 100 years ago. And he was also a philosopher. And if you have a philosophy major, you listen to William James. And he often wrote books on how people learn and how people bring knowledge into their deeper self. The Hebrews have two, word for, two words for that. Chokhmah is wisdom, and so is Bina, wisdom. Chokhmah is receiving wisdom from the outside. If the sign up there says curvy road ahead, uh, don't drive off the road, you'll go off a cliff. That's wisdom from the outside that you bring in and use. Wisdom from the inside is things you've learned by heart. You've let it go deeper. And William James talked about these kind of things. Let's read this out loud. One, two, three. When a decision is reached, dismiss all responsibility for the outcome. Unclamp, in a word, your intellectual and practical machinery and let it run free. The service it will do you will be twice as good. He doesn't realize it, but he's teaching a Bible truth here. Letting go and letting God work on the solutions. Who thinks God can take care of our solutions better than we can? Who thinks our conscious mind is not really up to the task of handling God's voltage? We need to let him into the deeper parts of ourselves to let him do the work that he needs to do. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And trust, trust in God's promises. I don't think we have in our minds what it takes to trust God's promises in our conscious minds. Martin Luther said, we can't come to faith unless the Holy Spirit at a deeper level brings us to faith. It's not just an intellectual decision. It's a bigger part of us. And the Holy Spirit draws us closer to God. And so we're going to do some praise and worship here, and then we're going to invite people to communion. You've never taken communion before. We welcome you back there. just have to believe it's for you. And it's a way to practice that receptivity. Let's pray.
Lord, we give you thanks for Abram. This story is 34 centuries, well, more than that. I don't know, maybe close to 40 centuries old. Really old stuff. And yet, Lord, people throughout history have brought this story down to us. Because it's a story about us. The story about Abram is the story about us. Each of us has promises we're struggling with believing in our deeper self. And Lord, I pray that we'd recognize our double-mindedness from time to time and that we'd invite you receptively to show us your glory, your solution. We'd let some of those things go and stop worrying about tomorrow, trusting that you'll work these things out. And it'll come to us like inspiration. We'll, two days down the road, all of a sudden, we'll, we'll, we'll feel the answer. It'll just pop in. And we'll say, thank you, Lord, for doing that for us, for working with us. Pray that all of us would take steps in the direction of trusting. We give you thanks for dreams and visions, Lord. Open us up to receive more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.